Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Romeo and Juliet, Twelfth Night, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I was playing small roles in uh, all of the productions and understudying larger roles. My mother was planning to come that summer to see us. That's Robert Besseda. He's 70 years old with short white hair. His eyes crinkle in the corners when he smiles. Robert is retired now, but he used to teach acting. He was the assistant dean of drama at the University of North Carolina. Almost half a century ago, in the summer of 74, Robert got his first big break as a stage actor. I was at uh, the American Shakespeare Theater in Stratford, Connecticut, uh, when this all happened. It was my first professional job. Then he got a phone call from his dad's best friend, this guy named Ed. But Ed called me and said, uh, Robert, uh, I, I think you should come home. And uh, I guess that's when I knew it was pretty serious. Robert's mom, Von Besseda, a teacher, was being held hostage in the prison library at the Walls Unit. So Robert flew home, back to Huntsville, the small Texas town where he was born and raised. Nothing like this had ever happened at the prison. I grew up in that town. Most of the people I knew either worked for the college or worked for the prison. And uh, we didn't think of the prison as, uh, you know, a prison. It was just one of the places where everybody worked. And, And, you know, I saw prisoners all over the place. I lived a five-minute drive from the prison. Ed picked up Robert at the airport in Houston and drove him to the prison. The families of the hostages were all waiting in the lobby of the administration building, which sat across the street from the Walls unit. The library offices were equipped with phones, allowing hostages to call their loved ones. Hello? Roberto! Howdy! How are you? Well, I'm fine. Just it seems like about 15 minutes ago I was getting ready to put my makeup on and do Romeo and Juliet. Well, well. We just zoop down here without any trouble. Well, that's good. How are you? Uh, real good. Yeah? Yeah. I've had some low points. Can imagine. In, uh, but, uh, I've had, uh, some high points and everybody's been, uh, Fred and the others have all been real nice. It's just, uh, kind of like being in a hotel and we sleep on the floor. <laughs> Not quite as comfortable. No. <laughs> no. But anyway, they have been real nice. And, uh, so, um, um, we've had some real tense moments, but yeah. we've got, so far we've gotten over them. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
All they want is get out of the country. Von Besseda had always been the life of the party. The way Robert describes his mom, you just wanted to be around her. She was bubbly, and, and she, she was good at making people laugh. She liked to laugh. She uh, had a lot of energy. She had a lot of friends. My parents were also great dancers. They were like, you know, out of a Elvis Presley movie where he'd be twirling her around and she'd be shooting between his legs and lifting her up. Everybody would just watch them with enormous delight. And I, of course, was perfectly humiliated. As for Vaughn, she followed in her mom's footsteps and became an educator. My mom was a school teacher up until, I am told, the day I was born. By the time my sister and I were grown up, she was kind of bored and wanted something to do. And that's when she applied for a job to teach at the Texas State Prison. Uh, And I am told she loved the job. Robert saw another side of Vaughn when she was taken hostage during inmate Fred Carrasco's siege of the prison library. Because my mom was a little silly and a little ditzy. And the first time I heard her speak, and I think she must have been speaking to my dad, and I was in on the call, I didn't recognize her voice. Because it seemed, she seemed so sort of calm and sure and sort of focused. My mother was so involved with taking care of affairs inside that library, like making sure everybody got their dinner orders correct. It was obvious that she was functioning (laughs) as herself in that uh, that horrible environment. Today is Steve's birthday, and we all wanted to get him a birthday cake. Steve Howell. Uh, Steve uh, Robinson. You might remember Steve as one of the inmates taken hostage during the 1974 Huntsville prison siege. My husband's across the street over there, and I just thought, well, if I could get in touch with him, he could run to the bakery and get one. Yes, ma'am. I'll go ahead and... Get the officials here, get a case plan, and send it up there. Oh, well, you you going to do it then? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okie dokie. Vaughn was more than a one-woman birthday committee. She projected a calm and casual air in her interviews with news reporters. This is a Vaughn Besseda. How are you, baby, Miss Besseda? Oh, excuse me, I was just eating some ice cream. <laughs> okay, I don't want to interrupt your meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Well, we've had some very tight moments, and uh, we've had some delightful moments. What kind of delightful moments have you had? I was going to say, I wouldn't say exactly delightful. Is that the right word you want to use? But we have, um, uh, we have respect and, uh, for Fred, and he's, uh, has treated us like uh, ladies, and uh, every once in a while there's a wrong word or something that is said, and they get kind of uptight, which 
we'd just been under pressure, and uh, we, you know, don't mean anything about it. On the other hand, she reserved her anger for prison director Jim Estelle for his seeming unwillingness to meet the hostage taker's demands to be released from prison. Honest to God, everyone thought you were a man. And little by little, we can see how you are shrinking, shrinking. It's all right, Miss Bessett. Take it easy. After her testy exchange with director Estelle, Vaughn cooled back down when talking to her son, Robert. Mr. Estelle probably thinks I'm an idiot woman. I've called him and been hysterical several times. Uh, trying and all he would say, I understand. But I kept telling him he didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, what but, what did he not understand? I don't think he, he didn't understand the situation. I mean, if he did, I think... Uh, I know they have policies and so forth, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, rules are written to be bent, too. Yeah. And so um, I learned that a long time ago when I used to say I'd never let y'all do, you or Claudia do something, and I've eaten those words many times, but I quit <laughs> saying it. So I'm not going to say that anymore. But we're hoping and praying that everything's going to turn out for the best. Yeah, well, and we are too. So um, uh, all we can do is wait and see, and I hope that TDC will come around to some of the things. And so I just hope everything will turn out real nice. I'm so, here, and we're all here, and we're praying. I love you, and I've thought about you many times. And as soon as this is over, you're going to have to come up and visit me. Well, I was planning to come around the first part of August. Well, I figure that after this is all over, you rate a vacation, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I think I could. I, I could take one. Vaughn must have been ready for that vacation, and she would have loved to see her son, Robert, on stage at the American Shakespeare Theater. For now... Held captive in the prison library, she waited. From Imperative Entertainment, I'm Wes Ferguson. This is Standoff. That old white-haired judge in Dallas Didn't pay my story no mind Taking me down to Huntsville I'm bringing in a load of time They caught me on a caper that I planned for days And proved everything I'd done I'm on my way to Huntsville But I'm looking for a chance to run So lately I've been on a mission to change the way people view their finances and to encourage people to overcome obstacles and adversity. It's just more and more important to me every day. So I've teamed up with the folks at Life Surge. Life Surge is a one-day faith-based event where you'll walk in hungry for success and you'll leave ready to build your resources to leave an impact on others. We're talking faith-fueled finance, growing resources, crushing obstacles, and then yeah, using it all for something way bigger than yourself. I'll be joining Life Surge in Cincinnati on Saturday, August 3rd. 
Joining me in Cincinnati is Nick Vujicic, the man with no arms or legs that speaks about his trials and triumphs. Soul surfer and author Bethany Hamilton, Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, and author and pastor Craig Groeschel, star of CNBC's The Prophet, Marcus Lemonis, and Bethel Music. That's Life Surge, Cincinnati, on Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets are on sale exclusively at lifesurge.com. I hope to see you there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Chapter 9. Don't rock the boat. She could get worked up up about things. Here's Robert again, talking about his mom. Like all of us, Von Besseda was complicated. When I say worked up, what do I mean? I guess I mean that uh, it, it was easier her, for her to be concerned about people and that if they were being taken care of and what the needs were. Even as a hostage, her life threatened by gun-waving criminals, it's like Vaughn was more preoccupied by stuff happening outside the prison walls like her daughter Claudia's college cheerleading outfit, which needed alterations. First thing, tell Claudia to go to Miss Williams and uh, try on her... I talk with Miss Williams. Uh, uh, cheerleading costume, okay. uniform. Okay, Claudia, ma'am. I know the cheerleading outfit. Yeah, yeah, well, um, y'all take I, care of yourself. I got everything under control. Yeah, well, that's good. Okay. I trained you right. <laughs> you got so much food in the house, I tell you. Well, we had fried chicken today. And yet, as the hostage crisis dragged on, first for days, then for a week and a half, something had to give. It was the day when there was a, was it, was it an electrical storm or something, and they lost electricity in the prison? that everything turned dark. It took an ominous turn. It was August, and they had no air conditioning, and they were in a windowless building. We knew something that late that afternoon uh, was happening because they ushered all of the families of the hostages into separate offices. And you could see lots of activity going on, lots of guards, people coming and going. The stalemate had gone on too long. Somehow, the trio of inmates who'd garrisoned themselves in the third-floor library had to be lured outside. Authorities promised inmate Fred Carrasco an armored car so he could flee the prison with two other convicts and four hostages. As the car was being parked inside the prison, firemen were setting up high-pressure hoses. Their plan was to disable the convicts with streams of water in hopes of avoiding gunplay. Vaughn was inside the mobile shield, the so-called Trojan taco, or Trojan horse, when the prison attack squad blasted it with the high-pressure hoses. They had to get them out of there. And 
what they thought up as soon as that thing came, the Trojan horse came out of there, they'd hit it from all angles with powerful water. It would topple and everyone would go down. But that's not what happened, did it? If the fire hose hadn't burst, you know, it might very well have worked. I don't know. I try not to think about that. Prison authorities said one of the hoses ruptured, the convicts opened fire, and officers returned. When it was over, Carrasco and another inmate, Rudolfo Dominguez, were dead, and so were two of their female hostages. Von Besseda and Judy Stanley, a prison librarian, were the two hostages who didn't survive the escape attempt. Their captors shot them at point-blank range. Ben Aguilar was among the first to see the bodies. It affected me in a way for a long time, too. I couldn't get, get the picture out of my mind, especially uh, the lady, that, that Mrs. Besseda, that uh, was the one that we had to take loosen from that guy. And her, evidently, he shot her in the chest. But I remember seeing that. I thought that, that was horrible. It was a three fifty seven Magnum that he shot her with, you know, what, what a, a shot like that could do. Not a very pretty picture. Meanwhile, Robert and his family were still waiting for news inside a prison office. Robert was hoping for the best, that his mom would soon be coming home, safe and sound. And then after it happened, Reverend Pickett came in the room and said, (laughs) I'm sorry, Buster. She didn't make it. <laughs> and of course, the room erupted with screams and crying. Then after that, we collected ourselves and uh, got into our various cars. I remember my sister and I were in Peggy's car. Peggy was Vaughn's best friend. She had a great big Cadillac, like all Texas ladies like to have back then. And we drove, and, and driving from the prison to my parents' house uh, seemed like it was happening in slow motion, almost as if we were floating in air. Uh, don't rock the boat, baby. And I remember that song playing on the radio as the car just sort of floated home. And by the time we got there, there were people from all over town. There there were cars everywhere. There were people in the front yard. There were people in the backyard. And uh, we walked into the house. And my father's sister, who actually raised him because my father was the youngest of nine and she was the eldest of the sisters, uh, and she actually raised my dad, was standing there and other members of family, friends and family were there. And she had a forced smile on her face. And I was the first person to speak. and I. I said, I think I screamed. She didn't make it. And then I fell to the floor 
and I slammed my fist into the floor and <laughs> I sprained <laughs> my my wrist <laughs> and then dad came in he was crushed he was a broken man leading up to the funeral you know you're what is so busy being the host to grief because so so many people came to see us and of course it was such a big news story and the press were all out you know wanting to get pictures of us and interview us and things like that in front page articles on the Huntsville siege the newspapers kept publishing Vaughn's employee photo a mugshot. We didn't like the photo they were using. So we went out in the front yard with uh, with a framed photograph of my mother saying, we wish you we got, could use this picture. Thinking, of course, that they would just take a photograph of the picture of my mother. But of course, they took photographs of my sister and I holding the picture. So then all the papers were filled with these sad photographs of my sister and I holding the picture of our mother, which was not what we intended at all. The siege made national news. The final shootout landed on the front page of the New York Times. Top story. Robert still has a copy. Jim Estelle, the director of the Texas prison system, reiterated the waiver that all employees sign when they're hired by the prison. If you're taken hostage, you're on your own. This is one of the meanest days that anyone ever spent in public service. The results of this, under the circumstances, are the very best I'm convinced that we could have hoped for, considering the people that held our people hostage. I think it's important that you understand that at no time was any thought given to the granting of any illegal freedom to any captor, no hostage, taken through any gate of any prison can be considered anything but dead. Novella Pollard and Ann Fleming, two of the hostages who survived the siege, were in attendance at Judy Stanley's memorial service. The press was there, too. And the surviving hostages have supported prison officials for how they handled the incident, declining to criticize the violent way the ordeal ended. In his eulogy, the Reverend Carol Pickett made it clear such criticism would be out of place. This Stanley family is here today to tell you that unfair criticisms and second guessings have no place in this city, in this state, or in this nation. They want you all to know that men must do certain things and women must do certain things and people like Judy Stanley must be willing to die if peace and life and joy is to exist in this world. Hostage Ann Fleming was a librarian and a Sunday school teacher at the Baptist Church just one block from the prison. She'd been handcuffed to the outside of the mobile shield during the botched escape and lived to tell about it. I prayed for those people inside that machine because I knew they were the ones who were going to die. And uh, I knew that they had said that if there's any 
gun play that they, they would put they would pull the trigger on them you know and kill them instantly and that's what i've tried to find out ever since i've been out as to who killed who there were still questions lots of questions but over time things in huntsville went back to normal father o'brien healed from the bullet wounds to his arms and chest he returned to work as the prison chaplain in fact nearly all the surviving hostages went back to work at the prison Linda Woodman, the librarian everyone admired for keeping her cool under pressure, eventually became the warden of a prison for women in Central Texas. And Jack Branch went back to teaching at the Walls Unit. It haunts you sometimes, you know, not now, though, but not, not like it used to be. I always think about it, get scared. I try not to think about it throughout the day. Sometimes at night you wake up dreaming about it, and it haunts you. For Jack, in a weird way, something good came out of surviving the siege. That uh, if I could go through that, I could go through it. <laughs> I could survive that. So that gave me encouragement when I would think, look back at it, you know. To this day, Jack's son, Ray, still wonders how the 11-day ordeal affected his dad. Being tied up, a gun in your face, bullets flying by people dying. You don't come out of that an unchanged person. See, that's the thing, because I really don't know, you know. know, He's always been pretty secretive about that, you know, so he didn't want nobody to talk to him about it, so we didn't talk to him about it. And so, hence, I don't know a lot about how he felt right after, except for that first minute when we got, got him from back there. A couple days later, he was back to normal, back to his old self, you know. Because he used to have a garden out here, so he would just get out there and get lost and riding up and down on a tractor. That's what he liked to do. And golf. <laughs> you know, he did plenty of that. Whatever he wanted to do, that's what he did, you know. And my mom wasn't going to sweat him because of what he had just went through. You know, because he would get mad. He'd be gone, get up early in the morning, leave by 8 and be home by seven, you know, right before it's dark. He's a pretty even kill guy, you know. He never got too high or too low. Now that was the veneer he showed us. He tried to maintain his even cool and so. He's like a jigsaw puzzle, man. His clues pop up here and there and still to this day. Clues will pop up here and there and stuff and things you never would have thought uh, that had happened to him. Then he'll say something like, whoa, you know, it blows you away. 10 years later, 20 years later, that that happened to him. Ray's grandma lived near the prison, so he drove past the Walls unit all the time. He swore that he would never go to work there. But jobs were hard to come by in Huntsville. So Ray applied to be a guard. And wouldn't you know it, practically his first day of training, he ended up in the education building, right where the library was. My grandmother my mom's mother lives up that way, over there on that side of town. So yeah, we had to go by there every day. That's why I thought I would never work there when, <laughs> before I got a job there. I'm like, I, could, I would never work there. I ended up working there in that very, in that very uh, unit, too. I never did think they would put me there. They put me right there. When, they, when we walked up that ramp, I was like, wow, did, you know. And I was trying to not tell anybody about that, you know, anybody that was in my class, unless they were from here and knew me. But I didn't tell 
people that 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 had happened to us and stuff. But it was pretty difficult. But I needed the money, <laughs> you know. Had to work. And then you know people try to ask you stuff, and I I would tell them my dad doesn't like to talk about it. And I crack a joke and try to distract them <laughs> from asking me stuff. You know, it was rough though. Going by there, still rough. Even though I worked in it, because. Like you said, things will never be the same. After. They were never the same after that. Never the same. As for Robert's mom, Elizabeth Yvonne Besseda, age 47, she was buried in the Oakwood Cemetery, surrounded by East Texas Pines, just half a mile from the Walls Unit. Have you ever seen her tombstone? I grew to sort of regret what it says on it. Because I thought it was a, a, a little presumptuous of us to put it there. But it's that quote from the Bible, the greatest love is shown when a person lays down his life for a friend. But when the minister said it at her funeral, it meant a great, great deal to us. And it was true. Robert's mom had volunteered to remain a hostage. She put her life on the line, staying with her captors so the others could go free. She made the ultimate selfless act. On one level, I, I sure wish she hadn't. <laughs> on another level, when that was her nature. And in it, and I have to say her destiny. Yeah, you know, stuff like this does happen. I believe that there, there are things that people are meant to do if they find themselves in that situation. And um, I think that's the path she chose to take. From the very beginning, you know, we we had to call her a hero, and she was. But it was a lot easier just to say that than really um, understand it and allow it to sink in for what it was. My dad never really could get over. It hit him hard, and uh, he never got over that. It just hurt too much. Robert grieved for his mom in his own way. A long time passed before he realized he needed help. Several years after this whole thing happened, I went into therapy to even start to admit how angry I was, um, which is that stage of dealing with death that I uh, evidently chose not to deal with uh, until life was becoming pretty difficult for me. It's kind of hard to talk about my mother, as I'm sure you understand. Although he doesn't talk about her much, memories of his mom are never far from mind. 
it isn't all that difficult to dredge them up because they're right under the surface, you know. And I will say this. I'd say for the first 10 to 15 years after my mother died, from time to time, it would all come welling up inside me and I'd cry. And at the oddest times and places, you know, taking a shower, driving in the car. Uh, uh, but in, I'd say, the last 20 years or so, I haven't let myself go to the place that, uh, or it isn't necessary, I'm not sure which, that brings back the hurt and the pain. But right now, I'm feeling better because I did it. I'm feeling uh, a little bit as, as if I've allowed something to happen that, that needed to happen. Coming up next, dueling autopsies as a mystery deepens. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Fred Gomez Carrasco, orchestrator of the 1974 Huntsville Prison Siege, died on the concrete ramp leading down from the third floor prison library. Prison officials and the local justice of the peace were quick to announce his cause of death. A final autopsy report on the 11-day siege said today Fred Carrasco, the convict ringleader, died of a single bullet wound in an apparent double suicide. But not so fast. From windows in the prison hospital, several inmates were watching Carrasco's escape attempt. They said he and his accomplice, Rudy Dominguez, were executed in cold blood. And the witnesses had backup. A second autopsy. An autopsy report revealed today that Fred Gomez Carrasco was shot and killed by law officers and did not commit suicide, as had been reported earlier. The revelation scrambled what everyone thought they knew about the final shootout. A grand jury started an inquiry to determine what happened. The governor called for a special court of public inquiry in the face of charges that prison officials murdered Carrasco and Dominguez after they were disarmed. The surviving gunman, Ignacio Cuevas, is waiting for trial. And the public is still waiting for the full, complete story of what actually happened that August night in the final minutes of the nation's longest prison siege. The local justice of the peace, the guy who originally said that Carrasco committed suicide, now revised his statement just a little. Here's how he threaded the needle. I never said directly that they shot themselves. I said suicide. And just by them coming out of that building would be suicide. In other words, death by cop. Carrasco was shot once in the head, and Dominguez was shot three times. 
twice in the head and once in the neck. The first medical examiner to look over Carrasco's body said he was struck at extremely close range, just 4 to 12 inches. The second medical examiner said he was shot by a distant, high-powered rifle, basically a sniper's bullet. Adding to the confusion, a State of Texas ballistics expert said bullet fragments found in Carrasco's brain were from his own weapon. But then, the public inquiries, the investigations to get down to the bottom of how Carrasco died, were put on hold. Texas top law enforcement officials said they would interfere with court cases against Carrasco's accomplice, Ignacio Cuevas, who'd survived the shootout and now faced the death penalty for his role in the prison siege. Three years later, people were still pushing for those inquiries, for answers. State Representative Joe L. Hernandez from San Antonio put it this way, We were promised a court of inquiry would be created to investigate the entire matter from San Antonio to Huntsville. After more than two years of delay, the promised court has not been convened and apparently the matter has been bypassed and minimized by state authorities. Did the government just move on? Was there some kind of cover-up? Well, it's been almost half a century. I guess we'll keep waiting. There was one other great mystery. Where was Rosa? My mom was, well, we were all in Mexico. Because remember, my mom was facing the death penalty. Rosa had been charged as an accomplice in her husband's escape attempt. She was on the lam. And she needed the money to keep rolling in. Well, I mean, she sold drugs for him still, you know, kept up her, her part of the business. We were always running. She lost everything. So we go from living in this beautiful mansion, having, you know, six maids, and then from there, we ended up homeless. That's next time. Rosa's incredible journey and how Fred's violent legacy really transformed San Antonio in a surprising way. In the final episode of Standoff. Standoff is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was written and created by me, Wes Ferguson. Executive producer and story editor is Jason Hoke. Audio editing and sound engineering by Shane Freeman and Jason Hoke. Original score for Standoff by Max Baca, with additional music from Flaco Jimenez on accordion. Music engineering by Tony Gonzalez. Our main theme, Huntsville, is performed by Ray Benson and was originally released on the Merle Haggard and the Strangers 1971 album, Someday We'll Look Back. Cover art and design by Gina Sullivan. Carrasco audio tapes from the Texas Department of Corrections courtesy of the Texas State Library and Archives Commission. Special thanks to the staff of the Texas Prison Museum for their generous help with research materials. The Corridos, La Muerte de Fred Gomez Carrasco, El Nuevo Corrido de Fred Gomez Carrasco, El Corrido de Rosa Carrasco, and El Corrido de Alfredo Carrasco are published by San Antonio Music Publishers Incorporated and are courtesy of DLB Records. Special thanks to Eastside Music Studios in Austin, Texas, have questions? Contact us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. If you love the show, tell your friends, and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks for listening. San Antonio writer Greg Barrios passed away during the production of this podcast, as did William T. Harper, author of 11 Days in Hell. I hope this show honors their memory.
rumores, corren rumores que yo no sé si es verdad. Dicen que a Rosa Carrasco la mató la federal. Desde que murió Carrasco la sigue la policía. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.